Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Things We Said Today, our weekly podcast slash internet radio look at all things Beatles, their history, what's happening now, and possibly what may be happening in the future. Uh, my name is Al Sussman from Beatle Fan Magazine, and I'm here with my three co-hosts. Uh, first of all, the uh, the host of the uh, syndicated Beatles radio show, Every Little Thing, Ken Michaels. Hey, Ken. Hey, Al. How's everyone doing? And all the way out in uh, on the West Coast, we have the uh, the the Beatles examiner and examiner for uh, various other uh, subject matter on examiner.com. And uh, certainly he gets every every scoop that's out there as far as uh, that's in the uh, in the Beatle world. And that's Steve Marinucci. Hey, Steve. Hey, Al. Hello, everyone. And last but certainly not least, our resident musicologist, longtime contributor for Beatle Fan Magazine, uh, and a uh, longtime classical music critic for uh, the New York Times and also various other publications, and that's Alan Cozen. Hi, Alan. Hey, Al. Hello, everyone. First, we have a few things to to take care of, Um, uh, uh, one of which is a little bit of housekeeping. Back a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about Pet Sounds and uh, Bob Dylan's um, uh, Blonde on Blonde, I, uh, I mentioned that uh, that Robert Rodriguez had come up with the information uh, that since there had been a great deal of publicity about the fact that Pet Sounds and Blonde on Blonde officially had been released on the same day in May of 1966, turns out that it actually that Blonde on Blonde was actually released at least the stores uh, sometime late in June of 66 and I had credited that uh, the information to our friend uh, Robert Rodriguez through his uh, uh, Fab 4 FAQ 2.0 page on Facebook uh, as it turns out the uh, that information had gotten to Robert through actually a friend of this show and that is Michael Lynch, the fellow who who uh, uh, composed and performed the the theme for this show that you hear uh, that you hear each week, and uh, and it's uh, and it, which is very interesting when you consider that Michael is actually a hardcore Rolling Stones fan. And when uh, we first um, got to know each other on Facebook few years back, uh, we had a few spirited Beatles Stones debates. <laughs> But uh, uh, but uh, Michael's uh, Michael's a good guy, and uh, so we wanted to you know give him uh, give him full credit for uh, for that piece of information. So so yes, um, Blonde on Blonde did reach stores late in June of 1966, not in the middle of uh, not in the middle of May. So there. And actually, um, actually, mm-hmm. Michael's been a guest on our show twice. Yeah, we had a spirited Stones Beatles debate with him too here. <laughs> yes, yeah, you may true. recall. That's and true. before before Al and Alan joined the show, when it was just Steve and me, we had a discussion about uh, the Dave Clark Five and uh, the new documentary that had just came out at the time that was getting a lot of attention and was actually broadcast on PBS stations. Yes. So we used him as uh, for his take on the whole Dave Clark Five phenomena. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Well, speaking of a take, 
uh, as we're taping this, Ken last night saw Ringo Starr and, and his all-star band in concert uh, in, uh, in New York. And uh, you can give us maybe a capsule review. And you've also got some thoughts about you've uh, received in the mail your copies of uh, Pure McCartney and, uh, and I believe the Traveling, Traveling Wilburys reissue as well. Right. Well, the Ringo concert was was great, as all of his all-star bands have been. And uh, as we all know, he's been using the same band now since 2012. And you can tell that they're all very comfortable working with each other, and they're just phenomenal musicians. I mean, the highlights for me, as I've been saying the last few years, are when they do some songs where they're really jamming. And uh, that usually takes place on the Santana songs that Greg Raleigh sings, and the Toto songs that Steve Lukather sings. And uh, the musicianship is phenomenal, and the camaraderie and the fun aspect of it all uh, is something that you see in every single one of the concerts. Part of the fun in, in watching uh, the All-Stars is to see the interaction between the musicians and what they say about each other and clown around with each other. Seeing Todd, Todd Rungman especially, running around the stage, posing with various members, going back behind the drum kit while, while Ringo's drumming. You know, there's a lot of fun is a very big fun aspect in seeing the show. Um, it's pretty much the exact same uh, track listing of all the songs, with the exception of the fact that he brought back "What Goes On" huh. as the third mm-hmm. song in the set list, which worked really well when he did that in the past. Um, it's just, if, for whatever reason, it's a song that works great as a live song. Mm-hmm. And uh, he joked around and said, "This is the only Lennon McCartney Starkey song." But it really should have been credited as Starkey, McCartney, Lennon, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and uh, it was just, you know, it's a great it's a great concert. Any all star band has been great. And um, I'm never going to go as far as to say this is the best one, although it just seems like Ringo really loves this lineup. But I think a lot of that has Mm. to do with not only are they great musicians, but they get along great as friends. They're really close. And uh, this is a band that at this point can just do these songs in their sleep. They're just that good. And Mm -hmm. so uh, this was a packed audience. I saw them at the Paramount, the legendary Paramount, um, Mm -hmm. in uh, Port Chester, New York. And it was a phenomenal show. Um, Since he he brought back What Goes On, my one uh, disappointment was that he took out Island in the Sun from Postcards from Paradise. That was the only song that he had done that was new the last time around. So there was nothing from his most recent album. The band just sounded really killer, as they always do. Um, in particular, I loved uh, Your 16, sounded phenomenal. Really much more up-tempo than in uh, uh, previous bands, I think, anyway. But, um, yeah, the crowd really loved it, and um, spectacular show, you know. You have any questions for me? And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> of course, he still hasn't done Only You. Yeah, well, there's so many songs he hasn't done, especially from his solo career. And like we were saying in our last show, the only song from the Beatle catalog, from Please Please Me Through Let It Be, that he sang lead to that he's never done live, is Good Night. And um, yeah, I just think that he, he prefers to not do the slow songs mm. for whatever the reason. You know, maybe he thinks it'll put the audience to sleep. I don't know what it is. But uh, for the most part, when you when you listen to this concert, every song is an up tempo song. So um, 
And for me, the thrill is also seeing the audience reaction to, to the show. And so many people, whether you're talking about Ringo or Paul, are seeing them for the first time. So anybody who leaves this show, they're either regulars who know what to expect mm-hmm. or they're first time goers. Atten- attendees. Yeah. <laughs> attendees, yes. And they love the show and they're blown away by it. And, um, you know, this is the, the thing about the All-Star Band is, is that it's, it's a great idea for bringing together fans of all these different artists. You know, mm-hmm. I would guess that most people are going to the show to see Ringo, but you've always got the Todd fans and you've got Santana fans who want to see Greg Raleigh and, and they all work together so well. And then hopefully they grow to appreciate the other artists' music at the same time. So um, you get fans from all the different members of the All-Stars. And also at the same time, a lot of these artists would not be able, I believe, to sell venues this big. Although the Paramount mm-hmm. is only 2,000 seats. But mm-hmm. I doubt very much that Richard Page of Mr. Mister can pack an audience like that. I know Todd can. But, um, and then, of course, Santana can or, or Toto can as a band. I don't know how much them individually can. They usually play small clubs, but you put them all together with Ringo and they can sell out. So it turns out to be, you know, a success all around for every single musician, which is part of the beauty of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, and I could say this about Paul, I wish that Ringo would go deeper into the catalog, even bring him back songs that he hasn't done for a long time. You know, like Weight of the World, which he only did really on, uh, say, the second tour from 1992, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, or certain songs that work really well live. But, um, yeah, it it was a great show. I saw a lot of new shirts for sale. And as I (laughs) have been saying many times, no CDs. You can't buy, you know, whether it's his greatest hits, the uh, photograph collection or Postcards in Paradise, no CDs there, but it's all clothes, you know, and bracelets Mm -hmm. and hoodies and all that, and the program booklet, too. And that's it. But, you know, if you've never seen Ringo live, you owe it to yourself to see them because it is a great concept. And, you know, it definitely is a crowd pleaser right there on every level. What I think is really, really, I guess you could almost call it miraculous, is that after all these years, it's still the whole all-star band concept is going as strong as it is. Because if you think about it, it's basically the same thing that was being used by... Oh, let me think of some names. Um, grassroots by, you know, I mean, by a lot of other bands where they would use one person and use backup players. Mm. Now, in, in the All-Star Band, in the All-Star Band, granted, there are, he, he used more name players, okay? But, I mean, basically, that's where it started because I'm trying to think of the guy's name that promoted the, the first couple of tours there. David Fishoff. David Fishoff, I think. Yeah, yeah. right. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, it's basically an offshoot of what Fishoff was doing, and the fact that Ringo's kept it going and it and it's, you know, and it's thrived as much as it has is really kind of amazing. Oh, you know? well, that's 20, 20, 27 years now. It's mm-hmm. uh, I guess nobody, nobody else really could have done that. Uh, like, um, well, uh, I, I mean, Paul could have, but Paul wouldn't do that. But I mean, no, but I mean, you know, I mean, it it, it really worked a lot better than. He's really he's really made it work really well, and you have to. I mean, for that, it's a it's a great credit to Ringo for that. Mm-hmm. But the big I mean, difference here is that mm-hmm. you've got the same musicians on stage 
all playing with each other together as a band. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of package shows that have been successful. You'll have 70s right. acts packaged together and 80s acts and all that so that you can sell bigger venues. Uh, but here, instead of having separate acts doing their own show, you've got one band mm-hmm. together doing their own songs. And, and that's part of the fun, too, is to hear Ringo drum to a Toto song, you know, or Todd Rundgren play to a Santana song. This is the only kind of atmosphere, the only kind of way that that can even happen. Mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. never forget when, when he had Gary Brooker on the tour, and the night I saw him with Gary Brooker, he introduced Whiter Shade of Pale as one of the greatest songs ever. And mm-hmm. I think he even said he was he was thrilled to play on it. And that was that was really something. And then seeing him you know, play with uh, Ian Hunter and, and, you know, I mean, the breadth of uh, the, the variety of people he's had you know, on the on this tour, uh, on the on the tour through the years, it's just a, it's absolutely wonderful. You know, mm, yeah, I'm sure there are there are a lot of people who would, you know, rather see him work with another, you know, with a variety of other artists, particularly more people that are more contemporary of of Ringo's people from the 60s mm. and 70s but he seems just very comfortable with this group so much so that how long has this been now about 3 years that he's four, four years wow that he's yeah. that he's toured with this this lineup and he's just very comfortable with them so you know more power to him well you know mm-hmm. to what you just said out my favorite lineup still to this day is the one that had um, Howard Jones and mm-hmm. Greg Lake and Roger mm-hmm. Hodgson and Sheila E. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're dealing with Roger Hodgson, you're talking about mid-70s into the 80s when right. Super Tramp was, was at their height of popularity. But uh, Greg Lake, you can go from 60s and 70s too. But you've got mm-hmm. a lot of 80s in there. And they yes. all mesh together so well. And that's mm-hmm. part of the phenomena of this whole thing is that you can see a lot of artists that on paper don't seem to make much sense. But they all gel somehow. Yeah. They get together in this band, you know? Yeah. And to go from in the court of the Crimson King <laughs> to uh, the glamorous life from Sheila E. in the same band, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just that's what I love the most about it is the variety, too. And all mm-hmm. the, the band members really love doing this. And it's the only, the only way when these musicians can get together and do this kind of thing. Very true. Oh, I love I, I love the uh, the uh, the one with Levon Helm and Billy Preston. I mean, oh, was, the fir- oh, the first one that was yeah. classic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that was that was classic. And and to hear, I never did see the band, but to hear Levon Helm sing the night they drove Old Dixie down, just it was, yeah. Oh God, that was just wonderful. That was yeah. that was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been there have been a lot of good there have been a lot of good bands, and and the nice thing about seeing this one now is every time I think I've seen them twice now. Well, no, I've seen them all every time they've come through the area. They get tighter and tighter. You can hear it, you know, and they really. That's one thing that was not evident in the earlier bands is how comfortable these guys are with each other now, and that's the one thing they've gained from staying together like that. And I certainly don't mind if Ringo uses 80s artists in there or moving into the 90s even, if it fits. How about Kanye? <clears throat> I know that's what, that's what you're waiting for. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I think so. And Rihanna. You want him to do life with the lions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, now, uh, along with seeing Ringo last night, Ken mentioned that he did get 
his copy of Pure McCartney over the weekend. Yeah. And since uh, we devoted a fair that's, amount that's, of very spirited one. debate <laughs> to that album, uh, what are uh, now? You, I, I I think you said you just sampled it. You haven't uh, listened. No, to I've, the I've listened. No, I have listened to the whole thing. Oh, you have. Okay, and. Yeah. Um, well, I love it. <laughs> I love the selection, although, as we have discussed, we would make changes to the selection, as mm-hmm. any fan would. But, um, you know, what I like most, as I said, is is the bouncing around from all the different decades, from different albums. And I love it that way. But I did want to point out, because I'm sure some people want to know about specific mm. songs, what which versions came out, or mm-hmm. the edited versions. But I made a very quick list. And first of all, I do want to say that everything here, they're all studio recordings. So the version of Maybe I'm Amazed is the one from the McCartney album. The version of Coming Up is the one from McCartney 2. It's the studio recording. It's not the live one that was the hit. Right. So um, also, listen to what the man said. Actually has that spoken intro from Paul that was on Venus and Mars. Mm. You know, that, uh, all right, okay, that bit. Yeah. That was included in there. Um, the big shock for me was Uncle Albert Albert Halsey because it doesn't end like it fades on the single. It ends the same way that it does on the album, Ram, where it's the lead guitar part that leads into Smile Away. So you do hear that guitar part, and it's not the way that you heard it as a hit record. So it's very strange. That was lifted right from the album. Um, Junior's Farm, thank God, is the full version. It's not the edited version. Uh, say 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 is the 2015 remix. Pipes right. of Peace. Pipes of Peace has the full intro as on the album, unlike the single, which started right with the piano going into Paul's vocals. And on the other hand, No More Lonely Night starts with Paul's vocal, like the single, mm. like the album. So, right. uh, like I said, coming up is the studio version. Now my big disappointments. Venus and Mars Rock Show is the single edit, which I thought was horribly done and it's mainly because i love the full version so much and it all flows so well the way it was on the album Mm -hmm. i never liked the single edit but that's the one that's on here and with little luck is also the single edit it's a shame because i I love that instrumental me too in in the middle and Mm -hmm. how it all builds i thought that was just you know that's a highlight for me when i listen to that i don't want to listen to with little luck any other way than that way so those were the ones in case people are wondering about that, of those songs. And um, like I said, I do like the selection on here. We can make a lot of changes. I'm sure we all would. Um, the deluxe version has a mixture of photos that you've seen before and some that you've never seen. There are no liner notes, really. I mean, there's just for each song, it tells you who the musicians are and what albums they're from. And you just have that quote that we have read from the press release about why Paul did this just for fun, something that you'd like to hear when you're traveling in your car. And that's all there really is to it. Hmm. But, um, you know, I do think, as I said before, that the way to go for anyone who's a new fan who wants to discover Paul's solo music is to go with a compilation that spans his entire career. It does fascinate me how he picked these songs. The very heavy emphasis on his more recent material. And... um, I'm sure that, especially for the Wings fans, they probably want more. But, um, you know, and like, like we said before, a big shocker, nothing from Flowers in the Dirt on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure we can all debate what we would want on a compilation like this. But um, I found it to be fun because I, I actually listened in the car. And even though I know what the songs are, 
I, I've known what the songs are on this compilation. I didn't memorize the track listing. So I'm listening to it with fresh ears, not knowing what the next song's going to be. And um, I found it a very interesting mix. The only time when I actually had, a dif- had any difficulty with it is when it went from, uh, I think it was, was it Too Many People into New? Let me just tell, oh, Let Me Roll It Into New. Too Many People, Let Me Roll It Into New. Well, you're hearing early McCartney into something more recent, and you can tell the difference in his voice. Mm-hmm. So that's the only time when I had uh, any kind of difficulty there. But I love the song selection overall, and uh, I'm real glad that it came out. But as we debated when the, uh, the track listing was first announced, mm-hmm. why, if somebody has all of these recordings, including those single mixes, uh, including the t- 2015 mix of Say, 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 if they right. have everything that's on here, why should they buy this? Well, as far as I'm concerned, this is not geared toward the hardcore fan. This is geared toward someone who wants to explore Paul's solo career that doesn't know it that well. This is either a new fan or a casual fan. And for all the people, the very same people that buy every single Beatle release, even though they have everything anyway, right. it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. There'll be Paul McCartney fans who will buy this to complete their collection. Sure. So, you know, it is nice to have a lot of this stuff all on one collection. It's nice to have certain songs. You know, I, I just love the fact that he picked certain songs that I thought he never would. Like mm-hmm. I said before, Souvenir. It's a great R&B type song from Flaming Pie. I love the fact that it's on there. Arrow Through Me. The fact that he's recognizing that as a song that he likes. You know, that's a song that he has chosen not to do live. You know, except in the 79 tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Just to know that he went through his entire catalog and picked certain songs that must be favorites of his. You know, Warm and Beautiful, addressing a song like that. Early days. You know? Um, I think the, you know, the, the most, the one complaint that I would agree with is that it should be a bit more balanced between all the decades. But um, as I pointed out before, since the last time he did put out something was uh, Wingspan, and that only covered up to 1984. I do like the fact that he's addressing the 80s, 90s, and last decade, and this decade. Mm-hmm. So, Well, rather than uh, uh, replay the same debate again, if... Can I just take... Yeah, please. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, if either you or Alan has uh, have a comment before we move on, by all means. Because I got a copy, too, although I haven't really spent a whole lot of time listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... I will say that li- that listening to it and not uh, again, I didn't me- I didn't uh, also memorize the track listing, and it sounds a little I, I don't know how to say uh, better than I expected listening to it, but it's still not probably one of the most spectacular McCartney releases, and and I don't know if I even call it um, you know absolutely necessary, um, especially when. You know, like Ken said, you can make up the whole thing from everything that's out there. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's too bad that. Uh, but you know, there are some nice pictures in the in the deluxe book. There are some very nice pictures, and uh, I, is it, there's uh, I believe there's text in there too, isn't there, Ken? Isn't there? It's, no, there's it's, there's only information about each song, like who the writer uh, was, what album it's from, and who plays on it. Okay. 
like I said, I, just, I haven't been able to spend a lot of time with it yet. But yeah, so but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it the most necessary McCartney uh, release. But I mean, if you obviously if you if you're a big Paul fan, you'll get it. So. But like I said, yeah. this is really geared more towards people who are not experts on Paul's solo career. And they're probably not oh, going to be nearly think, as I, judgmental. I disagree with that. Because uh, I, I, think, I think the only people that are really going to care are people that care about Paul. I don't think anybody that, that really doesn't... I can't see a whole lot of people really going for it. Maybe well, I'm wrong. you know, I, I, just, I, I, I totally disagree with you. There's all different levels of fans out there. And even in our last show, when I was, I should have bounced off of this, when you were saying that you think that most people who go to McCartney shows know all the songs, I don't agree with that. You know, how many people that went to Paul's concerts do you think owned a copy of New, percentage wise? I'll bet you a very small percentage. Probably. Oh, I think a lot more than you think. Uh, no, I, think I don't. Mm, no. Enough people no. said that if, if everybody who went to see Paul when he toured, when that album came out, that album would have hit number one. Yeah. If they bought it. Right. You know, most people who go to see Paul McCartney in stadium shows or whatever know him for his Beatles stuff and a handful of his solo music. The majority mm -hmm. of people are not, they're not us. They're not Rick Lover. You know, those are the small, those are the minority of people. The majority of people who go to see Paul are just casual fans who know him for his Beatles and a handful of his solo hits. Band on the Run, Live and Let Die, Maybe I'm Amazed. Mm -hmm. They might know a bit more, and a lot of the young people who are coming up barely know a lot of his solo hits anyway. Yeah. So that's just reality, because radio barely plays it, or wherever they're getting their music from, they're not, they're not really exposed to it. So I, I, I totally think, disagree with what you said I, in the show the last time. I think the price, the price of the tickets keeps a lot of the casual fans away. So I, I I really think that it's it's those people that go, yeah. But well, the price of the price of tickets keeps people away from any almost any concert these days. Be, you know, any major act. You know, they're mm -hmm. the the concert the ticket prices are just so so ridiculously high because oh, of I the agree. cost. You know, the cost of these tours and all, and and renting stadiums and things like that. But uh, you know, so so obviously the the more the more casual fan is you know is probably who may have already seen Paul may say, well, no, I already saw him. I don't really have to see him again. Mm. You know, well, you know. anyway. And Mister Mister Cozen, as usual, is laying in the weeds. <laughs> see yes. if he had any thoughts. Well, no, I mean, you know, I haven't got my copy yet, and um, I've already spoken theoretically about it in a couple of shows and um so i mean what i am from what ken is telling me it, it sounds like um pretty much a waste of time i mean i i bought all the <laughs> all the editions and so i am entitled to to feel that way i'm not asking for my money back um i i anticipate simply filing them on the shelf perhaps taking the four cd version and putting it in my uh itunes playlist and possibly never even playing it, but possibly playing it. Who knows? If if for some reason, uh, you know, on the 10th anniversary, we decide to have a show about about pure McCartney again, I, maybe I'll go through it. But uh, so nice to know. It's nice to know what an influence I can be on on my co-host here on the show. 
Well, but, but Ken, I mean, I, I am precisely the person you're saying that this isn't for. Um, so I think it was very nice of me to buy all the different editions of it, and, and that's the most he can expect from me. Okay, well, <laughs> you can say that about a lot of the Beatles albums that you buy a million times over, that you have the same songs yes, over I could, and over. Yes, I could say that, but those are brilliant from start to finish, and I would listen to any of them anytime. You know, okay, I, bought well, the mon- you. I bought the mono, I'm, I'm quite the mono happy LP set, I played it from start to finish. I bought the stereo LP set, played it from start to finish. This stuff, you know, I don't know. There's great stuff on it. Absolutely great stuff on it. I personally would rather hear it in the context of the original albums or, you know, the singles or whatever, you know, I'm playing at the time. Hearing it jumbled together like this doesn't do much for me. But, you know, as you say, newcomers, etc., fine. You know, let them uh, let them enjoy it and discover other stuff. I, I, that's fine. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to be reasonable here, Ken. <laughs> if, you, if, if just out of curiosity here, if you heard a radio program like mine where I mix all the Beatles and solo stuff together, would that throw you off? That's would a radio you program. Just hear the albums. Well, it's a radio program. I expect that from a radio program. Well, I don't have to go buy. Like I don't have to go buy a radio program and and put it on my shelf or play it myself. It's radio. It's you know the mm-hmm. nature of it is that you don't know what's coming next, and you know it's it's a whole different thing. Right. right. Well, this is kind of like you have all these songs and you put them on shuffle, and here they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's an element of surprise there. Yes, that's true, and I like putting things on shuffle, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just strange. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know yes, what you to are. say. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah, okay. I it. What do you want? By the way, I, I haven't listened to the Traveling Wilburys yet. I will okay. listen this coming week, so maybe I'll talk about it in the next show. Okay. All righty, and I assume the same for you, Steve? Yes. Yeah, I will, okay. too. Okay. All righty. On to the next subject, which unfortunately this seems to be, it's becoming almost a weekly thing. Yeah. We lost another one. Um, and this year we're losing, you know, we're not just losing minor figures in pop culture. We're now, we're losing giants. We're losing David Bowie. We're losing Prince. We're losing Sir George Martin, albeit at 90. And this Saturday morning, I woke up to the news that Muhammad Ali had passed away. And uh, and as a matter of fact, by the time I got up, had breakfast, and got onto the computer, what was waiting for me was a uh, Beatles Examiner post from from Steve Marinucci that he must have posted at about five in the morning, out uh, you know where I am, uh, with uh, the you know what what we know as the you know the the Beatles uh, the, the Beatles Cassius Clay connection. And Steve, why don't you uh, uh, rather than get into a a really tasteless plug for my own book, why don't you explain it, Steve? <laughs> Well, uh, uh, you mean uh, talk about the uh, about the the Beatles and Cassius Clay, or yes. talk about yeah, um, yes. I mean, there you know the so many people have have um, have written about it. I was astonished in the. I think mine was one of the first, but I mean it was. I yeah. saw several. I saw several after that mm-hmm. that uh, basically went through, uh, you know, went through the facts of of that. But uh, you know. Um, the Beatles were were. I mean, it was basically a photo op for both, and they both made use of it. And they they you know they had a, a great time. And 
it's become one of the most you know iconic moments in you know one of these things where you've seen pictures uh, over and over and there are pictures uh, floating on eBay all the time that I know, you know, I, even that day, you know, people selling prints from it and autograph photos and things. And, you know, it was such a cool moment. And, and uh, it apparently, and I didn't realize this at the time, was not the last contact between, you know, Muhammad Ali and a member of the Beatles because right. there's pictures of John and Yoko and, and mm-hmm. uh, yep at uh, Jimmy like Carter's seventy five or so yeah, uh, yeah. seventy seven right. at Jimmy, Jimmy Carter's inaugural. All right, oh okay. right. I was wondering right. where that came from. Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. but uh, you know, I mean that was just very cool that uh, and and the man just you know I mean for all the for you know I remember when he first came up. Uh, you know how brash he was, and and you know he was very, uh, very much a showman. You know as far as you know um, being out there in the news, and of course it was his conscientious objector stand that really mm. you know made the big mark. That really uh, you know pulled him apart from the crowd, and it, it's so cool now. And that's all people have been talking about since, and mm. uh, and since his passing, and and. Uh, an amazing man, it really was. And I, I saw, was it over the weekend that he used to, he used to sign for free. I mean, he used to pay, get, do paid signings, but he also used to sign for free if he sure. wanted him. Uh, and there are, uh, and I won't mention any particular names, but there are people that will not. And, uh, and you know, and he didn't, I, I believe he did not speak at the end of, he lost his voice at the end of his life. And, you know, so it was uh, an amazing man, a really amazing man. One so. could say that uh, that those photos that were taken at at the uh, at his training camp uh, there in February of '64 that you've got in that picture arguably the five most important pop culture figures of their time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and they were and they were they were on their way at that point. They were both on their way because he oh, yeah. had not this he was... had not won. The- it was right. before he defeated Sonny Liston, and right. it was just after the Ed Sullivan show when, right. when the Beatles were mm. really taken off. Ex- when they exactly. were, they still had gone. They still hadn't gone the entire way. They had still, yeah. you know, Beatlemania, Beatlemania was still happening, and it, and so it was an incredible moment in time for both of them. And uh, yeah. you know, Very the fact true. that they they came together and united uh, at that point was uh, an amazing, you know, amazing. Um, not to be totally self-serving, but yeah, in um, in changing times, 101 days that shaped the generation, uh, in the the chapter on sports, I devote a fair amount of space to the the Clay Liston fight and the, and especially the prelude to it, which included uh, the Beatles uh, the the Beatles visit, which uh, you know was you know was really a kind of like a, a a media a media created event you know and uh it was uh you know it was very spontaneous uh, the beatles themselves you know they you could tell they're they're not sure how much they're enjoying this uh, John Lennon particularly supposedly didn't really enjoy it all that much, 
and uh, and in fact, Brian Epstein was uh, apparently not in favor of them doing this at all. But uh, but the you know the 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 needs of uh, of the press of that time kind of uh, kind of won out, and so they had this uh, this photo op. And, uh, you know, little it, it, it's funny because some of the stories that have come out have talked about how uh, that uh, the Beatles were actually big Liston fans. And that mm. wasn't that wasn't the case. It was just that at that point, the Sonny Liston was such a heavy favorite that that reporters were being told, you know, not just to go to the fight, but then to go to a particular hospital after the fight to see if, if Clay was going to be, you know, delivered to that hospital because he had taken such a severe beating by Liston. And of course that, you know, (laughs) quite the opposite happened, uh, on, on February 25th, 1964. And uh, which uh, which, you know, makes uh, and, of course, the fact that, as Steve said, uh, the fact that he right from the very get go, right after winning the championship, he uh, adopted the the Nation of Islam uh, within weeks had become Muhammad Ali uh, and on from there. So he really almost from the beginning kind of almost transcended being just a boxer you know much in the way much in the way that the beatles uh kind of transcended just being musicians exactly and he he was also and he was also one of the most controversial figures in the 60s oh absolutely Um, for you know for several reasons um i mean his conscientious objector thing his his religious thing i mean that that well, really... well, Allen's old newspaper, the New York Times, for several years after he had changed his name to Muhammad Ali, continued to call him Cassius Clay. In the uh, in April of uh, '67, when Ali refused to take the step. By the way, Allen was not in not on the New York Times at that point, so right. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm right, not saying like that he's. That, that, I'm not saying that he's responsible for this. Uh, right, you were the age of you, you were the age of the editors that are there now, right? Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> but in April of '67, uh, you can see it on Time Machine, which is you know the digital um, uh, archive of of the Times material. Uh, the uh, the article that um, on. Ali not taking the step refers to him as Cassius Clay, hmm. and that's it, you know it, th- three years after he won the heavyweight championship and after he had changed his name. Uh, that didn't happen, for instance, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he changed his name when he changed his name from Luau Cinder to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1971. The media just immediately began calling him Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and now. You know, hardly anybody. Lou Alcindor, who was he? You know, most mm. people don't, don't even know who you're talking about. Ch- things change slowly at newspapers. Yes, they certainly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, certainly they certainly do. Yeah. Was the New York it's, it's Times funny. like most papers then in that regard? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. And in fact, it was probably even more so at the the tabloids. Uh, well, at least in New York, uh, people like Dick Young and Red Smith were very, very anti uh, 
um, the, you know, the, the, the name change and the Muslim connections and all, and all the rest of it and the, the anti-Vietnam stance. So he was, as, as Steve says, he was a very, very controversial figure. But I believe one of the first people to adopt the, his name, Muhammad Ali, was actually Howard Cosell. Yes. Yeah. Cosell was his first great champion in in terms of not only his, uh, you know, the change, uh, uh, change in name, but also uh, the, the fact that, you know, that he, that as Cosell, who had been a lawyer, uh, kept pounding away uh, at he due process yeah. had, you know, had not even been had not even begun when after he refused to take the step uh he was stripped of his championship by all of the boxing commissions throughout the country hmm. you know without waiting for for due process and that was that was cosell's point and so he was yes cosell was absolutely his uh his greatest uh, his greatest media champion mm-hmm. in that era um, no question no question he, about it mm-hmm when he was, when I found a, uh, the other day, I found an episode of the old game show. I've got a secret from I believe it was '65, and they introduced him Whoa. as they had on the screen. It said, Cassius, Muhammad Ali underneath it, Cassius Clay." So mm. they said both. They actually had both, and it, and then I also found one from the later years when the show went to color, and the host. Uh, Wally Bruner, I believe, was the host. Oh, yeah. Him, uh, mispronounced his name. And it was really embarrassing. And and Ali didn't really react. He, he kind of just let it fly and didn't, didn't mm-hmm. say anything. He was really cool. But Red Bruner said something like, uh, Muhammad Ali. Oh, he said Muhammad Ali. That's what it was. And and it was like, really? You didn't even bother to, to, to find out what his name was? You know, that was weird. Oh, but, yeah. Well, uh, I can remember uh, Johnny Addy, who was the uh, the ring announcer at Madison Square Garden and at other locations in New York for years, always yeah. uh, referred to him as Muhammad Ali, <laughs> as if his That's last name was Ali. Ali, yeah. I think Bruner said the same thing. And yeah. the funny thing about I've Got a Secret is Arlene Francis was on both shows, both mm-hmm. in and later on in the 70s when he appeared again so it was weird it was mm-hmm. it was strange but yeah one one quick question here yeah because al al you were saying that um that the beatles were not um that they were really supportive of ollie or that they were made to sound like they were su- supporting sonny liston actually well because well, there's they, yeah. There's an article that I just read in Rolling Stone right after mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali's death where there was a quote from John Lennon where he called Muhammad Ali a loudmouth and mm-hmm. that he said that he was rooting for Liston. Yeah, I think what happened was that most people figured that you know Liston was a 7 to 1 favorite mm. going into that fight and most people figured that he was that he was going to uh, that he was going to not only would that he was going to win but that he was going to hurt Clay badly. Mm. You know, which is why reporters are being dispatched to hospitals. Right. Um, and uh, uh, so I, you know, I don't know how much they, you know, since they weren't really sports people, you know, they probably just John probably just said they're the they were they probably just thought that 
Liston would win only because he was such a heavy favorite. Okay. And, you know, because most people just figured that he was that this was just a loudmouth kid who had, mm-hmm. um, you know, who didn't really have, um, you know, have that much talent. And as it turned out, he was bigger and faster than uh, than Liston and uh, and, you know, cut him, you know, <laughs> cut his face to pieces. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was it was, you know, it was the fight was no contest. OK. You know, the discussion of, um, you know, Muhammad Ali sort of cutting up Liston's face and, you know, the, the here's the sort of problem I have with the whole Muhammad Ali thing. I mean, I I recognize and admire the, uh, you know, the sort of iconoclast that he was and, the, and, and his political stances and his basically everything he did except for what actually made him famous and put him in the position to do and say the things that he became and become a uh, you know a great cultural figure but basically mm-hmm. we're talking about a guy who was really good at beating the hell out of another guy i i just i just don't get it so from <laughs> you know from my point of view i would say you know Muhammad Ali uh you know great cultural figure the thing he's most famous for for doing professionally, I'm not that crazy about. I would recommend that everybody go on to YouTube and find a copy of Bob Dylan's Who Killed Davey Moore, a song about yes. boxing. And the on, the other thing that I would have to say is that, yes, Muhammad Ali died on uh, what, Saturday. Was it Saturday? Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday um, night. Friday night. But also on Friday night, Dave Swarbrick died. Dave Swarbrick was yeah. a violinist who was mm-hmm. in Fairport Convention, and you know was a, and and a lot of the British sort of antique folk kind of uh, movement, and was mm-hmm. a, a really important figure in that. And to me, Dave Swarbrick's death sort of, in a way, means more. You know, he's on a lot of records that I really love, and uh, so I, I mean, I, on one hand, I don't want to take anything away from Muhammad. Ali, but I, I just, uh, you know, the boxing thing, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems bizarre to me that um, we're supposed to be in a more enlightened time, you know, and and people are celebrating boxing, you know. I mean, the big there, picture that you saw well, of, of Mohammed Ali. Than that. Of course, well, I'm saying that the more to yeah. him is what I admire, but the thing is, okay. we would never even know anything about that if not for the fact that he knocked guys out real quick and efficiently and brutally. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I've seen I've seen comments like that over the weekend. People who um, Richard Porter, as a matter of fact, the fellow who does the uh, the tours in London, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned the fact that he is not at all a boxing fan, mm-hmm. and yet admired Muhammad Ali. Uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's very possible. Yeah, do, you had to admire to, him for the other both. stuff, you know, for yes. the, being a, a figure at, at a time when civil rights was an important thing, when, when in a way, self-determination, when you can change your name and the New York Times won't let you, you know? Um, yeah. All of that stuff, absolutely, you know, but like I say, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know about him if not for the other side of it, which is kind of, kind of brutal, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Well, a lot that, of people that's... follow follow sports whether it's that or football some people think football is a brutal sport 
mm-hmm. you know. But for someone to put his career on the line the way that he did and mm-hmm. to take a stance the way he did, mm-hmm. it, it made it possible for other people to do the same thing. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, think about the Beatles. Brian didn't want the Beatles to talk about the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. you know, and for them to just say they're against it and not say anything else. That was that was a shock, I'm sure, at the time, right? Sure. It, it was, but do you think, I think they would have done it even if not for Muhammad Ali taking a stance there. I'm not sure they were that cognizant of... Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're really kind of exclusive of each other. Yeah, uh, because in fact, when when they did make their uh, their anti-war comments in in '66, uh, the uh, when they did make the comments in in '66, this was really uh, before Ali had really taken the the extreme anti uh, anti-war stand and and had said that he would not. You know, take the take the step to for induction into the army. Mm-hmm. You know, which was really this was which was really more later '66 and then in April of '67. Um, so really, I think the two are kind of exclusive of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, but certainly uh, they were they were in that in that fashion they were both they were both trailblazers. You know, and and, and, and paid and, and and paid and pra- paid a price for it in both in both cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting how the you know the the they both started out kind of, you know, I don't know how to say this. Well, I mean, uh, you know, people generally thought of Ali as a well. People did think of Ali as a boxer in the beginning, and later on he became a, um, you know, a, a symbol of of. Uh, the 60s, you know, of the the uh, dissonance in the 60s, and so did the Beatles, because, you know, the Beatles later on, uh, you know, protested things in their own way, and, you know, and Lennon did, uh, McCartney did, I mean, they, sure. they, they grew in significance in, in later years. Well, that's kind of why I was saying that, like, those, in those photos from February of 64, you've got, you know, arguably the five most important pop culture figures of their time. Mm-hmm. There's video well, too, know, by the way. Yeah. What's that? There's yeah. video too, by the way, of that meeting. Oh yeah, yeah. that's oh sure. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, uh, there was one picture that I saw where you can clearly see in the background Ed Rudy. Hmm. Hmm. You know hmm. who was wow. who, who was covering, you know, all of that for uh, Radio Pulse Beat News, whatever that was. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, he sent me a note actually. I think the other day uh, about that. Um, but uh, yeah, good old Ed. Hello, Ed. <laughs> Hello, Ed. If you're listening, let me add one more thing about Dave Swarbrick. Please. Um, he it had been reported in 1999 that he had died, and uh, the Telegraph in London, I believe, wrote an obit. And in recent years, he actually sold copies of the obit at the merch tables at his concerts and said. This is the only place where you can get an autograph copy of an obit. <laughs> no, key autograph. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 obit, the actual obit uh, for him in, in the in Alan's old uh, old stomping grounds mentioned uh, that 
he was in Fairport Convention at a time when there was a good deal of uh, of upheaval as far as the lineups. Now, mm-hmm. was he in the same lineup of the group that Richard well, Sandy Thompson. Denny? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Richard Tom right. Yeah. And how about Sandy Denny? Yeah. Um he you know, the album Legion Leaf, um, that was mm-hmm. sort of one of the nineteen sixty nine, really one of their big yeah. records. He was mm-hmm. he was a big force in that. And uh yeah, he's he he came and went, was in other groups, did uh a lot of other other things too, but um yeah, he was you know he was a big part of that sound. I mean, the idea of uh, having a, a violin in a you know doesn't sound out of place in a folk group after all, but a folk rock group not necessarily. You know, so, yeah. Um, Although yeah. I guess around that same time, Rick Gretsch was in uh, uh, Family, mm-hmm. right before mm-hmm. before Blind Faith. Yeah, I think when when Thompson left Fairport, um, Swarbrick. Um, sort of took on a bit more of the leadership of the group but it was as you say it was it was constantly evolving and uh i love that stuff you know the, the fairports uh steely steel ice band um that kind of thing and uh and so he was you know he was sort of an important figure mm-hmm. obviously didn't mm-hmm. you know Did you ever- didn't refuse to be drafted because he was british but <laughs> yeah <laughs> Did you ever? Do you ever? Uh, I, I think I mentioned the Eleanor Rigby experience a couple of weeks ago. Alan, did you ever hear them? No. Because uh, that they had a they played Beatle covers with a Steel Eye Span kind of air to them. Really, and they mm. were really amazing. Yeah, they were really amazing. Uh, really, mm. really amazing. Another band, but you mentioned Family. I loved Family. I absolutely. Roger Chapman, I think, is one mm-hmm. of the greater vocals. British vocalist, and he never really got as much credit over here as he should have. Um, they made some wonderful albums; they really did. Mm-hmm. I love, I love Family. Mm-hmm. So, I got to see them one time. They opened for Elton John, and we were we were in the orchestra pit, so we were like rows away, and we and and Roger was flailing away, he usually did, and it was it was amazing, an amazing show. Go ahead. I'm that sorry. must have been that must have been very on. early. That must have been very early in Elton's career. It was. It was not really early. I mean, because Elton was headlining the show. Well, so it was. Yeah. With, it was with Davy John, Davy Johnston and. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so that was that would have been then early seventies then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. And uh, uh, we covered a lot of uh, a lot of very uh, varied ground. <laughs> In this episode, that we did, that we did absolutely. Mm. And um, if you'd like to cover even more varied ground with us uh, by contacting <laughs> us, how do we do that, Steve? Um, you can write to us at uh, Things We Said Fab on Twitter, the at sign Things We Said Fab, or we have two pages on uh, Facebook. Uh, we have a radio station page uh, through Fab Four Radio, and there's also a group page called Things We Said Today, where we can talk about the shows, and you can you can have at us there, and we will we will answer you. So we, we'd love to hear from you. And I'm constantly getting um, getting prompts on my phone that this person or that person has um, asked to join the Things We Said Today page on uh, on Facebook. 
Yeah, we're getting really popular. We're getting a lot of followers on Podbean too. By yeah. But so uh, we are getting we we are coming together as the as the phrase could you could say. Mm-hmm. So there. And Ken, I think you probably have some uh, some prizes and other surprises coming up for uh, on your uh, on your web page and on every little thing. Well, on my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com, there is Beatles trivia every single week. Mm-hmm. So that's something you can expect anytime. And there's uh, a Beatle game or a trivia question that's posted every Monday. And fans have a full week through Sunday to answer. And I have a choice of nine prizes, one of nine prizes, every single week to pick from, whether they're books or CDs or DVDs. And uh, to give you an example, Billy J. Kramer's new autobiography, Do You Want to Know a Secret? I still have copies of the Beatles 1 Plus to give away with the DVDs for their songs, for their hits. Uh, Paul McCartney's Tug of War and Pipes of Peace, the uh, special editions for those. So that's every single week, and there's lots of interviews with people connected to the Beatles, including the very same people that you listen to on this show. You can hear interviews that I've done with them. So that's at KenMichaelsRadio.com, and that's all the time, not just a specific week. You can always uh, catch the trivia, special contest too, and interviews right there. Absolutely. And you can contact me uh, through uh, www.beetlefan.com or www.paradingpress.com for the uh, aforementioned plugged uh, Changing Times, 101 Days, The Shape of Generation, uh, or if you want to contact me through Facebook, it's uh, at Al Sussman, or on Twitter at, at ASUSS49. And Alan, how do people, uh, besides seeing your reviews in all various publications, how do they uh, get in touch? Um, probably on Facebook, either at Alan Cozen or Alan Cozen Remixed. I, I imagine I have some boxing debates coming up. Um, and, Could be. Yeah. Uh, and, and people actually um, have been writing a lot to the things we said today, radio show at gmail.com, and I read those and respond to them. And um, so any of those ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all respond. Let me, let me, yeah, we do. Let me say one thing really quick. I'm Please. just now posting. As I'm as I'm sitting here typing, just now posting um, the Access.com exclusive interview with Ringo, where he answers uh, uh, questions that were submitted by by uh, people, including myself. He actually answered one of my questions, so um, it's out there now. Uh, I'm just uh, it, it'll uh, I'll, I'll put a post links uh, in a few more places, but uh, it's just getting out there as I as I as I'm talking to you this very minute. So, any hints on what your question was? It was about his album, uh, about uh, his album. Which, Which album? album? The uh, the next album. Oh, the next. Ah, yes, the the right, the promised uh, album in 2017. Hmm. Aha. Yeah. Uh, All right. I see. Okay. Well, uh, we will look forward to seeing that. And as I said, this was a fascinating discussion where, uh, as I said, covered a lot of uh, a lot of ground. And so uh, uh, this is Al Sussman and for Ken Michaels and Steve Marinucci and Alan Cozen. We want to thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.